Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. It's me, your favorite host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Glad that you're joining me here today. We have lots to learn, kind of a Moving on from the previous episode where we're learning kind of the fundamentals of red light therapy, the history of it, where it came from, and really understanding how we've got to where we are today as far as uh, the red light therapy technology slowly but surely becoming more and more popular in the health and wellness circles. Biohacking, of course, if you're into biohacking, I'm sure you've heard of photobiomodulation or red light therapy in, in you know some form or another. And so, again, just paying our respects to the history all the way back to the Egyptians and um, Ayurvedic medicine. And we're, so we're talking thousands of years ago that we've been entrenched in light therapy or just light as the ultimate source of health because it truly is. That's where all life is derived from on this planet is the sun. And so, again, understanding the little steps of how we got to where we are then, of course, understanding the science behind it, how red light therapy works, the mechanisms of action. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. And that's not really for everyone. Some people just want to use it, just want to get the benefits. And so they might not really care about ATP production in the mitochondria or the fact that when uh, light is accepted by cytochrome C oxidase, which is an enzyme on our mitochondria, they specifically absorb near-infrared and red light. We can go down a lot of rabbit holes, but just for example, people that aren't really passionate about understanding the science or the mechanisms, and they just want to use it and get the benefits, they don't necessarily need to learn or understand the science, and that's perfectly fine. Other people, like myself, I love digging into the science. I love understanding really how the body works, how light works on our body and on our cells to really, really paint a picture of the fact that it's real and it works. It's not this esoteric, I think it works because people purport that it does. No, there's, there's tens of thousands of peer-reviewed science that speaks to the mechanisms of actions and how really red light therapy works for all these health benefits that are purported in the research. You know, hair health, skin health, eye health, energy levels, reducing inflammation, reducing pain, improving mood and and reducing anxiety and stress and and on and on and on. And again, it all comes down to the science. So that was a long, long-winded way of saying we're going to carry on from, from that previous episode where we kind of learned the history, a little bit of uh, red light therapy. And this episode, we're going to dig even more so really into what is red light therapy, how does it work, and again, just giving us a better appreciation. So when we start talking about specific health and wellness maladies that can be helped by red light therapy, it makes more sense. It's not just uh, uh, Mike talking about these things, so they must be true. No, they're based on the research. They're based on science, uh, very rigorous peer-reviewed journals and articles. So in order to get there, it's important to have this foundation and the appreciation you know, from the get-go. So without further ado, let's get the ball rolling by appreciating that, of course, human cells need energy to function. So just like human cells need nutrients from food, light is also an essential nutrient for our cells to function optimally. 
And again, this is not an option for wellness or an option for health. Light is a necessity. And so we need to understand this concept called malillumination. Similar to malnourishment, where you're not getting enough nutrition from your food, malillumination, which is a relatively new term, it's where you're not getting enough good light or you're getting too much of the wrong light and typically with poor timing. And so what I mean by this is our modern lifestyle. We're indoors. We're under artificial lighting. We're getting non-native photons that our body didn't grow up in. Evolution didn't raise us over time under fluorescent lights. It was under full spectrum sunlight. So we're not getting enough of the good light, the sun. We're getting too much of the non-native bad light, if you will, fluorescent lights, artificial lighting. And with poor timing, meaning how many of us at the end of the day, when the sun goes down, we're on our phones, we're on tablets, we're watching TV, we're under harsh bright white lights, blue lights. And again, that's messing up our circadian rhythm. We're inhibiting melatonin production. We're raising cortisol levels. So that's what malillumination is. Not enough good light, too much of the wrong light, and poor timing of the bad light. You could argue that this lack of proper light or that malillumination is as detrimental to health as eating McDonald's three meals a day. It's not that far-fetched. Malnourishment of food, malillumination of light. You have those both wrong, That's where you see type 2 diabetes, especially in kids these days, which was never a thing decades ago. That's where you start seeing metabolic syndromes, high blood pressure, and then you go decades down the road, neurodegeneration, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Does that ring a bell? Because it sure didn't decades ago like it does today. And so diet has its role, but so does malillumination. And so we need to understand that there's, there's actually five bioactive types of light, meaning this bioactive light affects the function of human cells. And our health is greatly influenced by the amount we receive of these wavelengths on a daily basis. So there's five of them. Let's go over all five. The first one's actually blue light. And it's not the blue light that you associate with technology like blue lit screens and so forth. It's the blue light from the light that we get naturally in the full spectrum light. And it sets the circadian rhythm in our brain. And this normalizes the various neurotransmitters and hormones in our body, such as cortisol and melatonin, like I talked about just a little bit ago. So when the sun rises in the morning, you get that hit of blue light, your melatonin production tapers off, your cortisol levels rise, and you wake up and you're aroused. The complete opposite happens as the sun is going down, the blue light diminishes, the sun sets, and then cortisol levels drop, melatonin production rises. And that's how you get sleepy and tired if you have a normalized circadian rhythm. So blue light, that's the first bioactive type of light. The second is UV light. And this is the one that gets all the bad press because it's associated with skin cancer. And if you do not expose yourself to light on a consistent basis, for example, me in Montana, we don't see a lot of sun, you know, October through through March for the most part. It's pretty overcast and dreary, so we don't get a lot of sun. And when the sun comes out in the spring, you bet everyone's outside and they want to soak up those sun rays, but your skin hasn't been exposed to the sun, to the UV rays of that intensity for five months, six months. So it's very easy for your skin to get red. It's very easy to sunburn. And you do that excessively, there's a chance it could lead to skin cancer. But if you build up your solar callus, meaning 
You consistently, on a daily basis, daily basis, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, consistently expose your body to sunlight, you shouldn't get sunburns. And you will receive more and more light energy, photons, electrons from the sunlight that you could argue that you could eat less because you're receiving photons and electrons from the natural sunlight. Because that's all food is, is electrons. So you can replace your food with sunlight, get the same amount of energy, and you're good to go. So UV light, and specifically ultraviolet B, allows us to synthesize vitamin D from the sun. So that's why UV light is so important. And unfortunately, with it getting the bad press, people are afraid to go outside without slathering themselves with chemically laced suntan lotion or sunscreen, whatever you want to call it, to protect themselves from the UV light when, ironically, they need the UV light to produce vitamin D, which is incredibly important for our overall health. So we have blue light, UV light. The next one is far infrared light. And far infrared penetrates deeply into our bodies and helps heat the cells. And this helps improve circulation and stimulates changes in the cell function. For example, in saunas, consistent sauna exposure is going to improve your heat shock protein synthesis. It's going to improve your growth hormone production. You're going to boost your immune system. So that far infrared is very important for our overall health and wellness. And far infrared is is the most popular infrared in uh, most infrared saunas. It's mostly mid and far infrared. And the reason that we're able to get that deep sweat and detox so well with infrared saunas is because the mid and the far infrared wavelengths are much longer, which means they're able to penetrate deeper, even deeper than red and near infrared light. So that's why they're superior for that detox and for that sweating. The third one is going to be red light. So the red light, it acts upon specifically the mitochondria in our cells to optimize ATP production, which is a token of energy and biological water production. And we'll really dig into why this is so important in a future episode that's going to be specifically on mitochondria and why mitochondria is so important to our health and how red light therapy positively affects the mitochondria. But just know, that the mitochondria produce energy and uh, the less talked about production of biological water. That is incredibly important and we will learn why in that podcast episode. And so recent science has demonstrated that the health and function of our mitochondria largely dictates our overall health and longevity. So in essence, the mitochondria dictates and determines how quickly we age. And there's actually a theory called the mitochondrial theory of aging, which posits that, just like I said, the healthier your mitochondria are, meaning the more efficient they are at producing energy, the less dysfunctional they become, the longer you will live and the higher quality of life you will have. On the flip side, the more dysfunctional mitochondria you have means you're going to produce less energy, means you're going to produce less biological water, which means you may not live as long and your health won't be as vital or robust. So you'll have that shorter lifespan. And if it happens to be long because you have longevity in your genes, your health may not be that good. So it really does come down to the mitochondria as far as aging and aging well, most importantly. And so the last bioactive type of light is our second favorite, or maybe our our tied for first favorite is near-infrared. So just like red light, the near-infrared light specifically acts upon the mitochondria. 
However, while red light can only affect the skin, it's a shorter wavelength than near-infrared, so near-infrared can penetrate deeper, just like mid- and far-infrared can penetrate deeper than near-infrared. That can get a little confusing because I just said infrared like 10 times in 5 seconds. But just understand, the shorter the wavelength, the less deep light is going to penetrate into your body. So with that being said, wavelengths such as blue and orange and green and yellow, those penetrate even less than red. And red only penetrates into that skin layer. So again, near-infrared penetrates deeper since it's a longer wavelength and thus can affect tissues below the skin, such as muscles, bones and joints, the brain, organs, and so forth. So if you're ever using red light therapy, and you're trying to affect those tissues, you must integrate near-infrared. You can't do just red. But the only time you should be using red is when you're treating the skin, whether it's for anti-aging, you know, getting rid of the wrinkles to boost that elastin in, in collagen production, or wound healing. But if it's anything else, you should be incorporating near-infrared. It doesn't have to be just near-infrared. It can be combo, but again, if it's below the skin, you have to incorporate near-infrared. And so those are the five bioactive types of light. Again, blue light, UV, far-infrared, red light, and near-infrared. Hey there, guys. So I know you're excited to learn about red light therapy, but I'm betting that you're also interested in finding a high-quality red light therapy device. Well, look no further than my company, BioLite. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the thousands of customers that have come before you and have chosen BioLite because of its unprecedented combination of high light power, low EMF emission, and low light flicker. So you're not only getting the most effective treatment option, but the safest as well. And there's many sizes to choose from. There's handheld devices, tabletop models, and even full body panels. So there's definitely a size to match your lifestyle and health and wellness goals. As an added bonus, you can claim a $100 value gift at checkout when you use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST. Just go to www.biolight.shop, choose whichever device is going to match your health and wellness needs, and use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST to claim your $100 gift. Again, that's www.biolight.shop. And so kind of like we were talking about earlier, this modern lifestyle of us being inside and indoors and out of the sun, being mal-illuminated, wasn't an issue for our ancestors, meaning even hundreds of years ago. Because it wasn't until the 1860s, 1870s, when Edison commercialized the incandescent bulb, specifically in 1879, and then Nikola Tesla developing and commercializing the AC electric system, meaning the alternating current, in 1886. So prior to the late... 19th century, we didn't have the ability to light our indoors with, you know, electricity and light bulbs. We were using candles and fire, which puts off a lot of near-infrared and red light. So what Edison and Tesla effectively did was move us away from those natural light sources into this non-native realm. And that's really, if you want to target an inflection point in our overall health and wellness, It's really back then, to this time in the 1870s, 1880s, when we switched from natural lighting to non-native lighting, and the rest is history. Prior to that time, rarely was there obesity, rarely was there metabolic syndrome, rarely was there Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's and dementia, type 2 diabetes. That's the major inflection point in time. 
So Edison in 79 with the light bulb, Tesla in 86 with the AC electric system. We moved our outdoor lifestyle to a modern day world of predominantly living indoors. That's the beginning of mal-illumination. So this drastic lifestyle change has occurred really with only a, a handful of generations and is likely, again, the major catalyst for the vast majority of the metabolic and chronic diseases and illnesses that we see today. The speed at which these changes have occurred really puts Darwin's theory of evolution to rest, meaning Darwin uh, suggested a mechanism for evolution, which is natural selection, in which heritable traits that help organisms survive and reproduce become more common in a population over time. But in this model, each species has its own unique set of you know, genetic differences they accrue from common ancestor, and they accumulate gradually over long periods of time. So this takes generations and generations to see these genetic changes and these genetic differences to be handed down. But since the light bulb and the electrical grid have now come to place, we have seen exponentially the speed at which our health and our lifestyles have changed, which cannot be explained by Darwin's theory of evolution. Things are happening so rapidly that this idea that the nuclear genome, the nuclear DNA, is what determines our health and really what determines our genetics is actually being debunked very quickly by Dr. Doug Wallace. And again, we'll get into that in the mitochondria podcast. But just know the science is starting to show that the mitochondria is essentially an an environment sensor and dictates our health. An environmental sensor being a farmer outside, not in the house for most of the day, that's a good environment. The mitochondria likes that. On the flip side, Surrounded by video games, surrounded by TV, surrounded by cell phones, indoors, the mitochondria does not like that. It's an environmental sensor. It's not getting the nutrients it requires, and thus the system it's comprised in, the body, deteriorates. So that's important for us to know. And so as a result of a lifestyle that keeps us indoors all day, we increase our light deficiencies and our light toxicities, again, secondary to this concept of malillumination. The modern day lifestyle is estimated to have decreased our light exposure by a thousand times, and in many cases, significantly more. So that's only regarding the intensity of the light. It doesn't even take into consideration that deficiencies were seen with specific wavelengths, such as those bioactive wavelengths we just talked about, the blue, the UV, the far infrared, the red, and the near infrared. So that's only speaking to the intensity. We're losing all of those nutrients by not being in the sun. We're losing all those messages, all of those growth mechanisms, immune system. We're losing all that by not being in the sun. And so quickly, let's just go over a couple of the most common consequences of malillumination. The most obvious one would be vitamin D deficiency, which is due to that lack of UVB light exposure. And vitamin D commonly associated with rickets, which is a disease in which the bone tissue doesn't properly mineralize, so it leads to soft bones and, and skeletal deformities. But other consequences of vitamin D deficiency are bone pain, muscle weakness, increased risk of death from cardiovascular disease, cognitive impairment in older adults, severe asthma in children, cancer, and the list goes on and on and on. And then looking at too little natural blue light in the morning and the predominance of non-native blue light at night, kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, not only 
getting the wrong light, but wrong timing, then you mess up your cortisol, melatonin imbalance, which leads to that circadian rhythm, disruption and dysregulation, which you could argue is just a domino effect for a multitude of health issues and consequences. So it comes down to that not getting enough natural blue light, getting too much non-native blue light from technology, especially at night when the sun has gone down. So here's some health consequences of circadian rhythm dysregulation. Uh, You have the risk for premature death. So right off the bat, shorter life, cancer, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular dysfunction, immune dysregulation, reproductive problems, mood disorders, learning deficits. And if we were to say that in another way, all those things I just said that are health consequences can be remedied or mitigated or even sometimes reversed with red light therapy. So it all comes down to, again, getting healthy light, getting proper light. It doesn't have to be red light therapy. It can be full-spectrum sunlight, of course. And so a piece of research from 2015 titled, you know, Health Implications of Disrupted Circadian Rhythms and the Potential for Daylight as Therapy. And the conclusion from this article by Brainerd and his colleagues in 2015 was, quote-unquote, We envision a near future in which use of daylight, real or simulated, to entrain circadian rhythms will become standard of care for patients in the ICU, but also in the operating room and post-anesthesia care unit. It is certainly intriguing that findings from recent biomedical research may challenge us to restore ancient patterns of exposure to daylight, under which life has evolved for the last 4 billion years. End quote. So, that research and that conclusion, it's from the Journal of Anesthesiology, so of course very hospital-oriented, which is why they're speaking about the ICU and operating room and so forth. But just think about that. The hospital is riddled with non-native light, and how frequently can you get near a window to even get a skosh of sunlight, which again is being tainted by the glass. Most glass disallows UV from passing through, so you're not getting the benefits of that UV light. But they're essentially alluding to, this is in 2015, this is six years ago, they're saying in hospitals, we need to move towards less non-native light and getting our patients out into the sun because they're going to recover better, they're going to feel better, they're going to heal quicker. And again, that last part, uh, research may challenge us to restore ancient patterns of exposure to daylight under which life has evolved for the last 4 billion years. And that's really the premise for red light therapy. Indoor lifestyle, not getting enough sun, so we need to move our life outside into the sun, and red light therapy can be a tool in a quick pinch with our modern lifestyles. So just these two health consequences alone, looking at vitamin D deficiency and circadian dysregulation, they're they're fundamentally tied to malillumination and not getting enough full-spectrum sunlight, getting too much non-native light. And they're not only real problems in today's world, but they're becoming exponentially more common with today's lifestyle of being indoors and really getting out in the sun every once in a while. I mean, we're turning into almost weekend warriors with the sun just as much as we are for with people who play sports. And so again, that comes back to the sunburns. We're working in the office, we're working at home, we're being transported in cars. So we're always out of the sun Monday through Friday, but maybe we'll get outside, go to the park on Saturday and hit the beach on Sunday and then back to work Monday through Friday, no sun exposure. 
And really, that's where you get those sunburns. Because again, a majority of the time, you're not seeing the sun. Your skin is not being exposed to the sun. So then when you do go, only short exposures it takes for you to get that sunburn or get a little too red. And of course, you accumulate those sunburns, it can lead to skin cancer. So instead of becoming weekend warriors for sun exposure, we need to integrate consistent sun exposure for optimal health. Because the more you do that, the less sunburns you're going to get. You can get to the point, and I have, being a white boy up in Montana, where in the summertime, with my shirt off, being out in the sun, I can be out there all day, no sunburn, once I've built up my solar callus. But again, I can't do that right away in the spring, because except for the trips that I take down to Texas or California, or where there's more sunshine, I don't get much sun exposure, or my skin doesn't, in the wintertime. And again, that's where red light therapy comes in and can mitigate the health consequences, be it physical, physiological, mental. And using red light therapy as a tool during the winter, it actually does make a massive difference for when I'm going back out in the spring. I'm not as likely to get those sunburns as quickly. And as we'll learn about in future podcasts, that's because you can precondition your skin with red light therapy, meaning if you expose your skin to red light therapy, about 30 to 45 minutes before we're going outside into the sun, there's actually significantly less chance that you'll get a sunburn or you can be out in the sun longer without getting a sunburn. So there's a lot of nifty ways to utilize red light therapy, as you'll soon learn throughout all these podcasts. So moving on, even with just sunlight deficiency, and this should be almost common knowledge or shouldn't be jaw-dropping at all, that sun deficiency has been linked to numerous diseases in the research such as, but certainly not limited to, the neurodegenerative diseases like we talked about, such as Alzheimer's, dementia, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, and of course dozens of types of cancers, obesity, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, heart disease. And again, it's like kind of becoming a a broken record here, but I hope it's slowly but surely making sense that the lack of light, lack of full-spectrum sunlight, is leading to a lot of health consequences, whether or not you're eating the best diet in the world. Because we'll soon learn the mitochondria are the engines of our body. And if you feed a broken engine the best fuel in the world, that engine is not going to miraculously start working again. If you have a Ferrari engine and it is broken, it doesn't matter if you put in premium gas or whatever the top tier gas is these days, it doesn't matter. That engine's not going to work. And so really, that's how we have to think about our body, because that's literally how it operates. Our mitochondria are the engines. If you take care of your engines, you will live a long and healthy life. If you do not take care of your engines, regardless of the fuel you feed it, then you're going to have health consequences, just like was outlined with the sunlight deficiency. And again, going back to Edison and Tesla, sunlight deficiency wasn't a thing around their times, but certainly prior to those inventions. So all these neurodegenerative diseases, cancers, obesity, diabetes, weren't an issue back then. That was the inflection point. Let's take it a step further. Let's look at a 2014 study out of Sweden that suggests low levels of sun exposure are a risk factor for human health equivalent to that of being a cigarette smoker. Kind of like I alluded to in the beginning, malillumination is as good as malnourishment with eating at McDonald's every day. This Sweden study is saying that poor light exposure is you know, just as detrimental to your health as being a cigarette smoker. 
So they looked at 30,000 women over 20 years. So a very strong study. And they found that women with the lowest sun exposure had a two-fold higher rate of death compared to the woman with the most sun exposure. It doesn't get much better than that as far as research. 30,000 women, 20 years. Those with the lowest amount of sun exposure, twice as likely to die compared to those with the most sun exposure. So again, moving on from full-spectrum sunlight to artificial light, like electronic devices, TVs, computers, indoor lighting, has been linked to numerous diseases, such as numerous types of cancers, depression, fat gain, obesity, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, insomnia and poor sleep, just like we talked about, circadian dysregulation, and mood disorders. It probably sounds like I just regurgitated the same two lists, but those come from two completely different sources, one about sunlight deficiency, one about excessive artificial light. Either in isolation lead to these diseases and illnesses. But of course, if you're doing one, you're probably doing the other. If you're not seeing a lot of sunlight, natural sunlight, you're probably exposing yourself to a lot of artificial light, especially at night. So you're just compounding the health issues. So it's pretty stark what sunlight deficiency and excessive artificial light at night can do. So that's a segue into, really, what about red light therapy? So what does red light therapy have to do with all of this? Well, let's, let's quickly talk about red and near-infrared light deficiency. And this just comes from that modern lifestyle. If you're not out in full-spectrum sunlight, well, you're not going to get the red. You're not going to get the near-infrared light from full-spectrum sunlight. And so we need to understand that full-spectrum sunlight, about 50% of the light that hits Earth is infrared, which is why we get that heat. But again, if we're not getting outside, or if we're not getting in the sun, we're already doing ourselves a disservice because we're not getting those wavelengths of infrared. And early in the morning, sunrise and sunset, that's where you're going to get the most highest proportion of red light because that's when you have the least amount of blue light as well. So that's free red light therapy for your body. Watch the sunrise, watch the sunset. Takes about 20 minutes a day, and that'll change your health. It's as simple as that, and it's free. So really, looking at red and near-infrared light specifically, why is that deficiency such a detriment to our overall health and longevity? What's so important about red and near-infrared light? Again, so why is red and near-infrared light deficiency such a detriment to our overall health and longevity? It comes back to the mitochondria, because again, the mitochondria have an enzyme called cytochrome C oxidase, which specifically absorbs and utilizes red and near-infrared light. Red light therapy wasn't quote-unquote invented and chose red and near-infrared light because people thought it looked cool. It's because the mitochondria the cytochrome C oxidase specifically accepts and is excited by wavelengths of red and wavelengths of near-infrared. And so when exposed to red and near-infrared light, there's a dissociation of nitric oxide from cytochrome C oxidase, which allows oxygen to bind and enhance mitochondrial respiration. And this leads to a more effective and a more efficient energy production. So when there's too much nitric oxide bound to cytochrome C oxidase, that leads to less efficient energy production in the mitochondria. But when red and near-infrared light hits the cytochrome C oxidase, nitric oxide is released 
And when we have that nitric oxide floating around in our blood, that's what causes the improved circulation that we see with red light therapy because nitric oxide is a vasodilator. When nitric oxide is disassociated from cytochrome C oxidase, that allows oxygen to bind and thus improves energy production. One observation about the effects of red light therapy is that it needs an explanation for the selectivity for you know injured and diseased uh, tissues, meaning illumination of normal tissue is usually you know little affected by red light therapy, and for cells and for tissues that are less healthy or more sick or more dysfunctional, they're going to respond much much better to red light therapy, and so this is a concept called autoregulation of biostimulation. And this was an observation made by Tina Carew. And Tina Carew is very important in the world of red light therapy. She is an Estonian biophysicist. Uh, She was the head of the Laboratory of Laser Biology and Medicine in Moscow. And she's the researcher, actually, who is credited with discovering the phenomenon of red light therapy, which she named photobiomodulation. And so, her observation or her principle of autoregulation of biostimulation is exactly that. The effect of light largely depends on the initial state of the tissue. The healthier the cells are, the healthier the tissues are, the less they're going to react. Whereas cells that are more sick or lower in energy, lower in oxygen, they're going to be more stimulated by red light therapy. They're going to see more drastic effects, which makes sense. If you're already at homeostasis, if you're already at equilibrium and healthy, then adding red light therapy isn't going to put you over the top. It's going to normalize you. But if you're already at normal, then really what you're doing is prophylactic and just optimizing your mitochondria for longevity and anti-aging purposes. But this concept, autoregulation of biostimulation, explains how light can accelerate the uh, regeneration of cells, like let's say in a wound, without affecting the cells around it. So if you, let's say, get a paper cut or open a scab or something or fall on the pavement on your knees and you use red light therapy to help heal that wound, just like Tina Carew is telling us, the red light will positively and therapeutically affect the cells that need to heal but won't affect the cells around that wound. So it's selective. So it really explains why why light therapy, why red light therapy has so few undesirable side effects. It's very selective. It's going to heal the cells. It's going to heal the tissues that need to be healed. And it's going to essentially not do much to cells that are already healthy. So that's an important concept to understand. It is also worth noting, like I mentioned earlier, but it's worth noting again, that all of the other wavelengths from the sun, such as UV and blue, green, yellow, and orange, are shorter than red and near-infrared light. So short, again, they're not going to be able to penetrate uh, the skin layers, whereas red can penetrate through that skin layer, meaning through the epidermis, dermis, whereas that other light, the blue light, green light, can't. And near-infrared light penetrates even deeper. Some research shows it can penetrate up to two inches into the body. And this really explains why red light therapy can have such dramatic effect in the brain, the eyes, the muscles, bones and organs, and so on. It's because it's that near-infrared, which can penetrate deeper, has an effect on those cells, on those tissues, on those organs. Whereas red, it's going to stay superficial and therapeutically affect the skin. 
So at these deep levels, the near-infrared specifically, it's able to induce its incredible healing effects on the cells, where it's able to increase energy production, a la mitochondria. It's able to modulate inflammation, meaning reduce pain, normalize physiological processes, and improve circulation, just like we talked about, nitric oxide being released into the blood or into the area. So you have vasodilation. Uh, help cells regenerate faster because you have more energy. And maybe most importantly, boost the health and function of the mitochondria, which is really tied to a lot of those physiological effects. So red light therapy, really when we take a step back and stop looking at the trees and like let's start, start looking at the forest, because that was a little nitty gritty into the science, but what we really look at or what we should look at and understand with red light therapy is that it is simply correcting these red and near infrared light deficiencies that we accrue by living indoors out of the sun for over 90% of our modern day lives. And that's where we should be getting and where we should be acquiring our red and near infrared nutrients is the sun. So red light therapy is simply correcting this deficiency with our modern day lifestyle. Red light therapy would not be necessary if it weren't for this, you know, modern, modern day world. Our parents, and especially our grandparents, likely had zero needs and would be confounded if you presented to them one of these red light panels or, or devices and told them to use it for X, Y, and Z. It would go over their head because in their lifetimes, they're outside naturally. They're outdoors much more than we are now. I mean, think farmers, just think working on the railroad, being outside, playing outside. There weren't no video games or TVs or screens to keep us indoors. So growing up, really, I mean, this brings back a memory for, for my brother and, and myself. He's two years older than me. But when we're growing up in Montana, this is almost pre-video games. So we were naturally outdoors, on our bikes, in the fields, playing sports, Outside in our backyard, just playing, playing, playing until it was lunchtime or dinner time or bedtime. But that's where we were. We were outdoors. That was pre-teen years. And as we became teenagers and worked through our teenager years, that was really where video games took off. And we were part of that world. So slowly but surely, over the years, we spent less time outside, more time inside. And so really, I feel like it's the generation of my brother and I that we grew up with the transition from being outdoors more to being indoors more. And so people born after me, I'm 30, 31 now. So people who are their teenagers now or younger are growing up in a world where you know nothing else other than being indoors and living indoors and being in front of screens. I mean, look at the jobs there are nowadays versus 15, 25 years ago. It's a lot more technologically inclined. You're going to be on your cell phone, you're going to be on your laptop, because that's where work is. Unfortunately, that's typically indoors and not outside. So, a lot of the health diseases, a lot of the health illnesses, is tied back to malillumination. Get outside. If you got outside enough, on a consistent basis, you certainly don't need red light therapy, because you're getting it naturally from the ultimate source, the sun. But again, in this modern day world... We're all deficient, or a vast majority of us are deficient in red and near-infrared light, which powers our mitochondria, which dictates our health, our energy levels, our wellness, our longevity. 
So while it's a relatively simple piece of technology, it does have profound effects and those are tied back to fixing a simple deficiency and helping the mitochondria become more efficient. So throughout future episodes of this podcast, we're going to continue to learn more and more and dive into more interesting, exciting aspects of red light therapy in specific conditions it can help with. And I think it'll help continue to give you all a greater appreciation for the power of red and near-infrared light. Maybe equally important, the role that red and near-infrared light deficiency plays in the majority of health issues and diseases. Because I think you'll see this common theme with all the different topics that we talk about, whether it's skin health, hair health, uh, athletic performance, sleep, thyroid health, heart health, eye health, on and on and on. It's all going to you know, tie back to the same theme of really this podcast, what we talked about today, how important it is to get full spectrum sunlight, why being out of the sun is detrimental, why red and near-infrared light deficiency is really the crux of the majority of modern day diseases. Also, in future podcasts and future episodes, we'll take much deeper dives into the role that mitochondria has on our overall health and longevity, because that is super important to know relative to red light therapy. We'll uh, look at specific health conditions that can be improved with red light therapy. We'll have specific podcasts on, let's say, skin health and pain and mental health. And we'll have interviews with some of the top experts and influencers from around the world in health and wellness, longevity, and biohacking. So we have a lot of great podcasts ahead of us, a lot of great information to learn. And so we're going to be on this ride together. And I'm excited to be able to do this for you guys. So I hope you found this useful. I hope I got the wheels turning a little bit if this is a new concept for you. If the science was a little deep or there were some topics that uh, I went through a little quickly, by all means, uh, listen to it a time or two or three, because it is really important to understand the importance of light, the importance of red and near infrared light and how it impacts your health. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.